911. Where is your emergency? America's 911 call takers work around the clock to keep us safe, answering more than 240 million calls each year. They support and protect all of us. And they deserve our support, too. That's why this April, National 911 Education Month, we want to thank our area's 911 call takers and dispatchers by sharing their stories. Thank you, 911, for being there when we need you most. Visit thankyou911.org to show your gratitude today. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome back to Ten Questions. Sorry for being away so long. I don't have a great excuse, but I do have some great interviews coming up. The first of which is Dan McPherson. Known in Australia for Neighbours City Homicide and Dancing with the Stars, which he hosted, and in Britain for his work on The Bill. Now he's making inroads in Hollywood with the Shannara Chronicles and the soon-to-be-rebooted Strike Back. Most interestingly, Dan is an Ironman triathlete. He talks about his triathlon career at the end of this interview. It's incredible what he put his body through, but it also informs how Dan approaches his career and life. As usual, I start by asking Dan when he was most happy. It's a bit dangerous when it's in past tense, I guess, but... but, uh... (laughs) Look, I'm a pretty happy guy, generally. Although, like maybe most most people on this side of the country, I am finding myself waking up, making myself a cup of coffee and stoking myself into a social media rage for the first half an hour of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment, it's probably it's probably when I'm a long way away from my social media. But um, yeah, look, yeah. I've grown up uh, on on the coast in Australia and, and you know, I, think, I think my go-to answer is, is probably... You know, we've got a house uh, up on the Sunshine Coast, and yeah. and it's a wonderful old beach house with a sort of sandstone fence and a front yard, and and, and I reckon those times, usually around you know the, the Christmas New Year period when I've got my family, my brother, his daughters, my sister, you know, parents are separated, both have new partners, but but those kind of family family times in that setting, which is a very special place for me, you know, we we. Don't, I grew up in Cronulla and we don't have our family home anymore. We haven't had that for for, for 10 or 15 years and that was always a, a bit of a sanctuary for me in what is coming up to my 20th year of this gypsy lifestyle, yeah. which I love. But, yeah. but, you know, I've been homeless or, or transient for a, a better part of the second half of my life. And so places like family home or... Or, or this place that we have in, in Queensland are pretty special. So, so I guess you know it's it's back there. Yeah. Irregular trips to the ocean, you know, seeing the sunrise and the sunset, and 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 uh, I also have no phone reception and no internet there. It's yeah, sunshine beach. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Is, uh, which is by design actually. There's there's terrible reception at the street I'm on, and I I just thought ah oh, I just won't. Yeah. I won't get. When I first moved up there, I got great sort of you know 4g high tech everything to make a little office and a little i could work remotely and within about three months i was like screw that i'm, yeah. I'm destroying it you know that's right so. it's, a, it's a really yeah it's an interesting thing what you're saying before about being the, the gypsy life yeah like no one no one feels sorry for you or for for us in that no. life but there are some lonely moments in hotel rooms totally and you're kind of sick of you know i got to, got to a point where i we got to um we got to August 2016, and it had been two years since I've had it home. And so I left this very building that we're sitting in. Zoe and I used to live in another another apartment down the end of the hallway. And we moved out of there. Uh, I left August 2014 and went uh, Melbourne for eight weeks, back to Sydney for two weeks, back to LA for two weeks. I went to Auckland for five months, back to Sydney. I was back to Sydney sort of every second weekend for work. Then I came back to Sydney for three months to shoot a movie. I went back to Noosa for a month during which Zoe and I got married. Uh, then we came back to LA, rented a place for two and a half months. Zoe came back to Australia. I moved to another place in Hollywood for two months. Then I went back to Australia for six weeks. <laughs> then we came back and house sat up in Malibu for six weeks. I went to Pennsylvania to shoot a movie for six weeks. And that took us to August last year, where I said, "Is I'm going crazy? Like I've got to. We need a house." So you did not have a home for that period. Two years, yeah. 
that's uh, that that does play havoc on the mind. Very th- oh, havoc on the mind, and, yeah. and havoc on your your friendships and your relationship, and, yeah. and your psyche and and whatnot. So we we luckily yeah we moved back into this place. We're down in Santa Monica. That is Santa Monica Airport up the end of the road. So that's that's Harrison Ford flying over as we speak. <laughs> um, you know, and and it's just important. You know, I found to just have some kind of base. Just to, to to reconvene, you know, regather oh, your sanity man. and your I miss it so just, much. Your right routine, now. you know, I just need a routine. So so that's been good. And of course, two weeks after we got here, I got a job in Chicago. But at the end of the day, we're, we're you know, Zoe and I are quite happy uh, on the couch, you know, eating takeaway, watching TV. Same. Yeah. Um, who would you like to apologise to, and why? Wow, wow. Um, I've kind of been pretty good to people, I think. Um, mm. Look, I, I, I don't really know. I kind of I feel like if I, if I haven't already apologised to someone, I'm probably not going to. But, um, <laughs> but, but I, guess, I, I guess the people that most recently want to have been seeking me out to, to, you know, to, to, to question what I'm doing, uh, most of... The audience of Dancing with the Stars, which uh, which I you know which I stepped away from a couple of years ago, and uh, and it subsequently has has gone to uh, that big soundstage in the sky. So, I mean, it's it's very important, not important to be in the grand scheme of things. You know, I had a great time, and there was fifteen series in there, but but I think there's a lot wow. of people back home that really um really enjoyed that show, and I yeah. apologise that uh, that I did step away to to really focus on my LA an American kind of career and, and the direction of my career and I just got to a point where I was I was doing a lot of things that were very satisfying and but I was doing a bit of everything and I was kind of just kind of got to a dead end really and I looked yeah. around at my mates particularly my buddies who were you know over here and, and back home um, at the very top of their game and you know, I turned 36 I turned 37 in a couple of months and I kind of got to that point where I looked around and it was like all the guys that I've come up with be it sports, music, entertainment, whatnot, business, these guys are now at the top of their game. Yeah. You know, and, and I've got buddies who are world champion athletes and I've watched them spend 20 years to get there. Or I've watched buddies become the biggest movie stars in the world or, yeah. or whatnot. And they've been 20, 25-year journeys. And I suddenly thought, well, there's no reason... What, what am I doing that's stopping me from being at that level at this age? And I was like, well... I feel like I'm doing a bit of everything well, but I'm not doing anything, any one thing exceptionally. Right. And so the, the, the choice I made was, was to go and quit anything that was distracting me from, from what I wanted to do. And that was, you know, acting was always plan A. Yeah. Although, although there's been a lot of distractions and had a lot of fun and a lot of great opportunities in the last, you know, 20 years that I've, I've done a bit of everything. But it was like, right, it's time to sort of laser focus down and, and, really, and really have a crack at, at jumping to that next level. So... You know, dancing unfortunately was um, a casualty. Was a it was a casualty. That's the thing when you come to LA. In Australia, it's kind of necessary to be a jack of all trades. You need yeah. to be a host. You need to be an actor. You can be a writer or a producer. All of those things, right. and it's kind of um, well, you need it to, to make a buck, really, just to stay alive. Well, that was originally that was yeah. originally why I started doing dancing. So I was doing City Homicide at the time. That's right. And yeah. we're in the same studio as dancing. And dancing, so we're in Studio A at Channel 7 down at Global in South Melbourne. Yeah. And on the weekends, all of our crew would go and work in Studio B and do dancing. And so then when, when Daryl left and, and Shane Bourne, I think, was going to take over, right. he was contracted at 10 doing Thank God, they came to me and said, oh, would you, would you think about doing it? And it was... And I was like, well, it's great. I'm living in St Kilda. It's a 10-minute drive. It's yeah. the same. Um, it's just like another day going to work. Yeah, Except yeah. on the weekends, I was running around in black tie and sparkles and sequins. And then midweek, <laughs> I was in a cheap suit covered in fake blood, you know. So it was, it was, I remember, was, yeah. yeah. But it was seven days a week. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is what... Let's just take a break while I protect you from the sound of my microphone stand collapsing. Now, we do return to Dan leaving hosting behind to concentrate on acting. But in the meantime, he's discussing auditioning in America where you can have the script in front of you versus Australia where you have to know everything off by heart. I've come to learn what works and what doesn't in, in self-tapes and, and in auditions. And, and over here, they're a lot less strict 
on on being off the page on your words. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, I'd never dream of going to audition and, and holding the script. Yeah, you've got to be off the page in you've Australia. Got to be off the page. Yeah. But over here, they're much more interested in, in, in character and in choices and in, in moments within that. And yeah. you kind of learn how to do that over here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a different... You just kind of work out what's important and what's more interesting. And is it more interesting to see a, an actor that can recite two pages of dialogue? Or is it more interesting to see an actor process what he's got in front of him, see mm. how that relates to the person opposite him, and, and, and kind of watch watch your character formulate a plan and an idea? And I, th- I think I've gone to the latter. Yeah, it's so <laughs> much better. It's not less stressful, mate, you yeah. know. Um, so you are just, just talking about... So basically, when you when you decided to... to because that's the thing in LA, mm. you can't be a jack of all trades, you can't be a, a multi-hyphenate, mm. you actually need to focus on one thing. Yeah. So you focus on one thing, and, and, and did the results come in straight away, or did they take a while? Um, interesting, I, it, I've been in LA since 2012, so 2012, 2013, I did two years of doing nothing here. But by the same token, I was going home once a year to do yeah. Dancing with the Stars. So I was earning a lot of money back there. I could come over, live in Hollywood, at West Hollywood, at Santa Monica, ride my bike, hang out at the beach, yeah. and not really care if I got a job or not, yeah. you know, because yeah. I didn't need one. And that kind of, I, I just, that led to me not getting a job and never <laughs> going to get a job because I didn't need one, yeah. you know, and and there's a there's hundreds, tens of thousands of people, let's say, in this town who are desperate to succeed and yeah. desperate to job, and whether that's writers, actors, directors, you name it. There's people here who are living in cars, sleeping on couches, who've been here, this is their one dream, and they will not be beaten and they will not not succeed. Yeah. I didn't care. I was I was you know, going home to face a network show once yeah. a year and living in Santa Monica riding my bike. You yeah. Know? It was like, oh, and you I, could justify it in your own mind that things are going totally, great. Totally. Yeah. Until that American breakthrough didn't come. Yeah. And it wasn't coming. It was like, well, hang on, this isn't what I expected. I expected I could kind of be like Tarzan and swing from Australia to America and not let go of that Australian vine until I got my hand on the next one. Yeah. And it didn't quite work like that. And so what I kind of went through was this period where I use the analogy of imagine you had to swim from Australia to America. There was a lot of time where I couldn't see Australia and I couldn't see America. Yeah. You know, and it was like, well, do I turn around and go back and do I go back and host one of seven major network TV shows that I got offered in a hosting role? Yeah. And, you know what? Screw it. Or do I just keep plowing along and keep doing what I'm doing and, and and keep doing acting class and keep just keep keeping on? Um, that was before the decision of quitting everything else. Yeah. But when I had that kind of moment, that epiphany, if you will, within three months, I booked my first job, which ironically or coincidentally was at 9 a.m. the morning after the Dance with the Stars rap party. So I- That's brilliant. Which was, you know, which was crazy, crazy timing. So, and that was two years ago, that was Shannara that I booked, you know, November 2014. I started in January 2015 in New Zealand. And for the most part, it's been consistent since then. There were kind of gaps in the middle, but then the last six months has been kind of that real breakthrough time where, where, you know, I kind of, just booked a bunch of jobs in succession and kind of feel like actually now I've broken through and 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 it's a it's it feels like five years of hard work and sacrifice and mm. it just feels like the plan came together finally. Yeah, because a long time I wasn't sure if it would. This is the bit where we discuss the two different groups of Australians trying to make it in LA. The first do it in bursts. They fly in, have a short period of meetings, auditions and parties, then fly back home to run everything via remote control. The second group are those who move here permanently and have to put up with the daily grind of being away from home, friends and family, and have to deal with living in a new country while working in a business with fluctuating fortunes. No prizes for guessing what's easier. Do three months in an Airbnb in West Hollywood, yeah. the sunset every night and have a great time and hang out with people who are doing the same thing and and do the meetings, but go, actually, I'm going to go home in April, as opposed to grinding it out for yeah. a year and you know, or longer and, and, and actually being here and 
I think there's a lot more there's a lot more nuance and a lot more difference in the sensibilities than we realize in, in between our cultures so and, much and particularly from an you know not from a business point of view or a meeting point of view or a collaboration point of view but also from an acting point of view when you mm. I mean all my jobs now are as American with American accent yeah right you know and they have been for a couple of years now you can only pretend so much for 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 ninety nine percent of the talent pool, um, you can only pretend so much. I mean, you get you get freaks who who are brilliant and and will yeah. be brilliant and will be at world cast level, you know, forever. But for the for the most of us, you know, you can work really really hard. And, yeah. And the difference for me being here and being around Americans and living in an American society, uh, the difference that that has had on on my work is is huge compared to trying to pretend from Sydney because you're actually imbu- you're actually soaked in the in the atmosphere yeah, and the, and know, the culture you, ask, you know you speak you speak to most of the people you meet in you know in a in the street or, or whatnot in a in an American accent or you mm. you listen to how they how they speak you you watch their news you you delve yeah. into their politics you know and 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 for me probably more so than most australians here i've, I've been fortunate enough that work has taken me and, and sport you know with triathlon as well it's taken me a lot around this country here dan and i talk about how america isn't for every australian and that there are a lot of cultural surprises along the way you know there's a lot of people that don't like it here that don't like yeah. this way of life that don't like this way of working. Yeah. There's a lot of Aussies that come over. But in particular, I'm talking about actors and, and yeah. you know, maybe some writers and, and directors as well, but particularly actors, I guess. I'm just lucky that I love it here. Yeah. And Zoe loves it here. And we've got a great LA family and a great LA network. And and that allowed us to to stay on here. And, yeah. and regardless of whether we were succeeding in our work or in our goals of working um, because I'm kept be careful of judging success by working or not yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So make that point yeah. clear. but 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 we both got green cards and we probably would have stayed here yeah know, for, for, for at least a certain amount of time so we're we're very lucky in that but but there's so and also coming from a sporting background I was never going to turn around until I'd done something yeah. You know, exactly, you know, mate. So, I've got you. Got to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I totally understand because it's not for everyone, and you don't love it. And we're lucky that we've been financially able to move around and find a place yeah. that we love, an area within LA that we love, and surround ourselves with 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 great people and and, and make a home here. It costs a lot of money to move over too. I it costs them a lot of money to live here. Yeah, that's you know, exactly right. Land it free. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, the question number three. Yeah. Just looking to make sure this is all recording. Question number three is: What is your greatest regret? I had to think about this one, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if it's a, if maybe I just blocked them out, or, or maybe I've just been lucky enough to, to really not harbour a lot of regret. You know, in that if I've gone and done something or I've let someone down or if I've, I've, I've hurt or hurt someone in some way, I think I've always gone back and made amends or made peace with, with that issue in that kind of way. But but what I could come up with, I mean, in, in a grand sense and while we're on the subject of, of, of LA and, and sort of being here and living here, I mean, I, there was a part of me that regretted not coming here when I was 25 when I finished in London on the bill and, yeah, and so I could have come over here then I had some interesting opportunities and I was I was you know uh, it, there was just some, some opportunities that opened up and I could have taken them but at the time uh, I chose to move home back to Australia I mean I was done in London I've been in London for four or five years but by the time I came home I was 25 my brother was 18 and he was 12 when I left and my sister uh, was something like 13 and she was 6 when I left and all of a sudden I'm the oldest of, of three kids and my parents were splitting up and so I chose to go uh, home yeah. back to Sydney and I ended up living with my dad and my brother and sister lived with my mum and, and it was an important time for, for me to come home and I didn't really start looking at LA until 2009 and I was 29 so 
part of me kind of, part of me every now and then, I wouldn't say it's a regret, but I do question, ah, oh, I did question for a while. Oh, I wonder what would have happened if I, if I had have come over yeah. then, um, instead of sort of kicking around in Australia. But I mean, I had a great time in Australia and I'm, I'm kind of not one to, you know, I, I, I think everything happens as it should. And 29 yeah. is that your sudden return. Yeah, so, right. you know, yeah, it was kind of inevitable that you're going to do something at that age. Totally. But the last time I did feel serious regret was actually only on the weekend, on Saturday morning. And Zoe uh, was, had been planning all week to go to the Women's March in LA. And I was toing and froing as to whether I'd go. And at 6 a.m. Saturday morning, I'd come up with a bunch of reasons in my head as to why. No, no, you go, you go, honey, go with your friends. I've got work to do, I'll stay here. And by about 10 a.m., I was like, why didn't I go? Why aren't I there? I should be there. Shit, can I go and meet her now? And then you turn on the TV and there's however many hundreds of thousands of people in downtown LA. And I was really kicking myself that I didn't go, you know? And whatever excuse or reason I came up with to not go, by 10 a.m. that morning, I was really regretting it, yeah. you know, because that was such a special... I mean, I, you know, I've been very... I'm probably much more invested in American politics than I am in Australian politics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, with, with good reason. Yeah, well, you know... It's, it, it runs the world. Yeah, exactly yeah. right, you know. And, and, um, and there's a lot of stuff, you know, you pop up every now and again on, online and say, oh, shits me when people from other countries give opinions on American politics. It's like, well, you don't realise what happens in America, American politics affects the world. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. But, um, but I was really kicking myself, you know, because I, because I have been very vocal and I have been very invested and I have been very opinionated um, given in this last election cycle. Yeah. Um, being, there's, there's the leaf blower. There we go. Yeah, there's, um, that's, that's the sound of the uh, Trump, Trump LA. Blower, no, no. <laughs> um, and uh, I was just, yeah, kicking myself. And, you know, for a lot of people who stood up and I've had people... So oh, I was embarrassed by the women's march, or it's just a feminist thing, or yeah. Madonna should be locked up. But, but I think <laughs> there was a lot of people, men and women, marching for a whole bunch of different reasons. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can define exactly why all those people came out that day to to protest the way they did. I'm with you, mate. I regret not going. Um, question four is: What will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Oh, look! I probably uh, probably the main one is breed. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you should uh, stay home for long yeah. enough. <laughs> you like the pandas, mate? Yeah. <laughs> the pandas in the zoo. Um, I did read an article. I was doing some research, and someone yeah. was saying, "Oh, yeah, uh, Dan's putting kids on hold while he goes off." filming x uh, it's the, it's the million dollar question at the moment you know every 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 article or every interview i do for for whatever job it's like oh you know got married when are you having kids um people really want australia really wants dan to breed yeah <laughs> yeah you know it's a little sure to be a little channel seven child <laughs> that's yeah yeah it's packed to the rafters yeah like, on wild boys <laughs> So, so look, I, my brother has, has got two wonderful young kids, uh, beautiful daughters, and, um, and, and so, like, I can't wait for, to be a parent, but, but you know, that, that time, the timing has been, you know, challenging, but it's certainly on the, on the horizon, um, which is probably the biggest, the biggest kind of, you know, the one of, on the map, the mark yeah, on the map, you know, yeah. in terms of, of, you know, life goals. Um... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy and pretty satisfied every day with with what I've done and what what I'm doing and what we're doing. And particularly now, you've, you're actually focusing too, and you've seen results from focusing. I'm the most satisfied I've been in my career for for a long time. It's great, you know. And that's. Yeah. I mean, make make no mistake. I, you know, hardly made any money in the last two years. You know, it's, it's acting. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like. Hosting yeah. is where like, the money is. So totally. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, you know, like we were discussing about going home to work in Australia. It's like, you know, you do some of these jobs and you've done some great, great movies and some and some great things back home, but they end up costing you money, Yeah, you know, to, to do what you want. So, so, uh, but I'm really satisfied. I'm satisfied with the quality of my work. I'm satisfied that I'm stepping on a set with great performers and collaborating with, with great artists, both in front of and behind of the camera. And that's, I think that's, 
been the greatest lesson for me is I probably chased the dollar for a long time yeah, rather yeah. than chasing what I really wanted to do and and, I, and I'm really satisfied now so so when you're at that point you know things are things are good so but I, I think if you asked my mother or Zoe's mother the answer would be grandkids yeah 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 you've got to get some kids happening <laughs> um, question five is who is the person who most influenced you and how um it's a good question because I've had various various people throughout my my upbringing that that have had significant influences on my development and although they are mostly older men there's, there's been, you know, I would certainly put my mother at the top of that list. You know, she's, my parents growing up, they're incredible. My mum's an incredibly positive, enthusiastic, charismatic, caring woman. Uh, she was an only child, yet is, has got the biggest attendance at Christmas Day of anyone I know. You know, her adoptive family oh, wow. yeah, is, that's great. is huge. And the way she cares for, for other people, and, and the other way people reciprocate that to her has, you know, I've learned uh, I've learned a lot of, um, I guess, generosity, generosity of heart, generosity of nature, from her, and um, and that is probably at the top of the list. Um, but then, as I sort of I was saying, I've had a bunch of great male mentors and coming up through through sport you know great coaches but yeah, it's got, you yeah. know, in your teenage years and your early teenage years these are sort of life coaches as well and I was yeah. lucky to have a number of, of great sort of guys including my father my father was a you know a great a great role model and a great teacher and you know my parents always instilled in me that I could do and be whatever I wanted to be and they would support me and, and yeah. so that was that was amazing you know, to have that kind of freedom and support no matter what yeah i don't know if they i don't know if they expected me to go i'm going to go and move to melbourne at 17 and start neighbors yeah but yeah. they were but they were they were so supportive but these kind of guys um uh, a triathlon coach eric hunter was a great guy uh he had a, a very close friend of his uh doug ford who, who passed away but these guys were great um sporting mentors business mentors um, and and actually had kind of the, the actually I went to church for the first time with these guys when I was sixteen and they had a great spiritual and faith um, strong faith and faith based. Which, so they in Cronulla were they Cronulla? Yeah, this is yeah, all yeah. down in Cronulla. Yeah, and and so then for me, sport and mental discipline and spirituality kind of all became intertwined yeah you know and yeah yeah and although i sort of later on i stopped going to what was i mean that was a baptist church that i went to and i was i was enjoying you know through my later teenage years but i kind of gave me a nice introduction to to christianity Mm. and to to spirituality and i've kind of gone on from there and as you do sort of make your own make your own choices but then as life goes on, you know, and Dougie, who I, who I love, is one of my closest friends, passed away. Uh, it must be 10 years ago now. But I've had other great guys like um, Michael Lawrence, who's a producer back in Australia. Oh, He's yeah. a, a great friend and a great mentor. And he, he's one of the two or three guys that I would ring up from the point, from the time I was 16 and go, hey, Mick, I've been offered this job. What do you think about this? Yeah, or, right. Hey, man, I think about moving to London. What do you think about this? And and guys that you know when I'll go home and I'll sit down and go hey let's just have a chat and just have a beer and a chat and, and talk about my relationship with my brother my yeah. relationship with my father or, or with my work or what I'm doing or what I want to do and, and so I've been fortunate enough to have great great mentors Dan moves on from sporting and life mentors to acknowledge the counsel of bachelor host and podcaster Osher Gunsberg I mean, there's very few people that probably understand or comprehend what life is like, you know, for, for 
certain people who you know live in the entertainment industry. I mean, Osher was one of my greatest buddies over here, and still remains one of my greatest buddies. Oh yeah, yeah, right. But also one of the things we used to chat I enjoy about. his podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I miss him here, and I, I was chatting to him only yesterday. But but there's very few people that you can sit down and chat about what it's like to stand up and host live television for two and a half hours on a major Australian commercial network. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but point zero, zero, you know, zero. And especially of your own generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when, you know, he's going, hey, man, I've got to go back and do the Aries or maybe I'm doing The Bachelor or I'm doing this and... and You give him a hug. You give you him a hug. Yeah, give him a hug. <laughs> you know? so, so, you know, there's... I've just... I, yeah, I, I've been lucky enough through sport and through entertainment and, you know, a couple of great directors and a couple of... You know, great, great mates. Um, just, just always had great male mentors. That's great. Looking out for not, I mean, not just my career, but but my my well being. You know, my, and my, my future and my direction and yeah, that's really, people. it's really good. And I, I think the sport thing really helps set that up too. You know, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. Question six. Yeah. When was the last time you cried and why? Uh I actually cried last night. Uh, so it's one of my voice is croaky. I was in um, an ADR post-production booth putting the finishing touches on a little indie film I did over over summer. And it was the light-hearted tale of an estranged son who returns to a coal mining town in central Pennsylvania to, uh, to face up to his alcoholic, abusive father after his mum has passed away from cancer. So it was a... I mean, it was... A, it was it's actually a beautiful movie. Uh, shot on a very low budget, but made with a lot of heart. And, and I was fortunate enough to play the the eldest son and the lead role in that. And and it will be one of the performances that I most cherish and 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 um, look back on with with uh, you know a lot of positivity because I really enjoyed it. But I was in the booth last night, and then we would we had to you know, fix up a little bit of dialogue that you know had some some noise over the back of it and whatnot. So you do get a second chance to go yeah, and yeah, fix it yeah. up. But, you know, the director was in the booth next door and I was doing a couple of versions. He said, hey, just go back there. Go back there and remember why you're saying it. And as soon as he said that, you know, that muscle memory happens and you, you access where you got to go and your eyes well and you start crying. You take a couple of breaths and you say the line. It's like, oh, there it is. And so, wow. so funnily enough, it was something that I always struggled with but it's something now that I practice almost daily. Yeah. Is, is particularly from going into a job. Yeah. Is the ability to tap into whatever is going to make you cry. Yeah. Because I think you need to. And I think it was you know Gene Gene Hackman said that he works in the in the the world of emotions and his his tool set is is emotions. Yeah. So he's got to be able to access every single one of them at any time. Yeah. And so I just went through a a, a kind of time where probably the last couple of years where I just I'll be sitting in traffic and I just or whenever the, the thought comes to me I'm literally look like a crazy person but it's it's sharpening that tool so yeah. I'm sitting in traffic and go alright cry now yeah. or, or, or tap into whatever is going to make you cry now and, yeah. and because they're not because when you're on set and there's got 50 people on set and it's pouring rain and the director's screaming, right, we've got three seconds of light left yeah, and we've yeah. got to get this shot. And it's a close-up of you reading the letter and crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. you've got to be able to turn it on and you've got to be able to access that when you need to. So so part of my, um, part of my sort of daily practice or, or, you know, every couple of days is, is making sure I can access that when I need to and when that's I want good. to. So That's your sport coming in, by the way. Yeah. That's your training. Yeah, you know it's really yeah. it's a it's an interesting thing. So with Pennsylvania, yeah. why did they set you up with a family? Why did they put you in a fam- with a family? It was a uh, very young director, and and you know for for all of for all the time I've been over here, and you know got great representation and met all these yeah. casting agents, and met all these these um these agents and managers and and producers and you know all this all this stuff. I got this job because the barista at my local coffee shop was the writer and he said, I have written a script and we became mates and we went for a beer and I read his script and I went, hey, this is a really good script. And he goes, well, we're going to make it, but we've only got 50 grand to make it with. And I said, really? Jeez, you're going to make a feature on 50? He said, yeah, we're going to try and get some more money and some more help, but have a read. So they got me to the table read and I read the the, the, the lead character, which the, the barista Dax, who's a great actor and a great writer, 
and a great coffee maker, may I say. <laughs> um, he'd written it for himself, and he said, ah, oh, and after we did this table read, he and the director looked at each other, and I went, mm, yeah, and kind of nodded their head and said, hey, would you like to play the lead in the movie? And, and that was August in LA, August in America, August in the world, where everything shuts down here. Yeah. So I thought, well, I could kick around at the beach and you know, get a tan and hang out boozing my way through summer, or I could go and work and, and play this really meaty role on this, on this really interesting, beautiful little film. And what an adventure. And so I, kind of, I viewed it as summer school. I was like, oh, I'll just go yeah. and do a little summer course on a film because it was only going to be great experience and you know, whatnot. They ended up getting a, a big chunk more money for the budget, which was which was great, and and I went and, and, and made this great little indie movie. That's awesome. I got back here five weeks later, and because I was match fit, and because I'd been out there working every single day on this movie, and because it was such a small crew and a small budget, you know, you, you're hands on with everything. You're hands on with writing and wardrobe and, yeah. and rewriting scenes, and you know, and you're really immersed in it, and that's the way to the way I prefer to work, I came back and did four self-tape auditions in the 10 days I got back and I got every job. I guess the major theme of this interview is how much Dan's experience in sport, particularly triathlon, informs his work as a performer. And he says that doing a low-budget feature film over summer instead of sunning himself in Malibu made him match fit and led to a massive spike in the quality of his work. Every director that I've spoken to, so one of them was, was for a buddy back in Australia, and he said, whatever you did, there was fire in your eyes, and I've never seen it before. Okay. And that was because I'd gone and lived this harrowing journey for six weeks, drinking, smoking, <laughs> fighting, crying, every, you name it. I mean, yeah. It was brutal, amazing, loved it, one of the greatest experiences of my career. But you come back and put that guy on tape, yeah. I look back now and I was like, wow, it was, it was on fire. Yeah. It was, it was burning underneath there. That's brilliant. And, and so, so it's, yeah, it was really satisfying. So that's, that's where Strike Back came from. I, I nearly, that's where, you know, two other jobs, APB and, and you know, the movie came from. And just, just from being match fit and going and doing a film, my agents didn't want me to do that. You know, it was like, yeah. Below minimum wage, taking you away from month, away from month, like mm. they, you know. Ridiculous. And who was the family you lived with? It was just some random so family. So it was the director's family. Oh, direct, also, so they've also, got a big, so. big ranch, big farm out in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So people kind of pitched tents and stayed in their spare rooms, and Brilliant. they they opened up their house as a production office. It's the uh, it's the family Coppola School of Filmmaking. My favorite yeah. way of making films. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Question seven: What's your your current state of mind? Uh current state of mind is I'm in a really really nice place right now I'm kind of I view state of mind and emotion kind of like uh, a big body of water like a sea you know and at the moment the sea is calm That's and good. it's a really nice place to be yeah yeah but I know that in eight weeks' time when I fly to Europe that I have to physically and mentally and emotionally make sure that water is rough. And so I know I have to manipulate that to make that rough because otherwise it's really boring on camera. Twitter. Twitter. That's it. <laughs> so, look, I'm in, a, I'm in a recuperative kind of... I'm in a pre-production phase at the moment where I'm just having some lovely time with, with Zoe in L.A., I'm not flying a lot. I mean, I was flying back and forth to Chicago weekly. I've been traveling so much. I'm, I'm in the ground. I'm grounded. Apart from my half-hour morning Twitter rage tirade, which, which I probably should swap out for Headspace or something like that, um, I'm in a really, really good, positive, um, settled, grounded place. But I kind of can feel... I can see the storm on the horizon that's brewing that's because good. for six months on this next job, uh, I'm going to have to whip up the, the waters and, and really kind of just just make things rough mm. for myself because it, it it's what works on camera. And you're, are you allowed to say what it is? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm heading yeah. off. So I'm playing the lead in the, in the new series of Strike Back. Uh, which they, they did previously with Sullivan Stapleton and, and Phil Winchester for Cinemax and for BBC. 
and uh, so that they kind of put that to bed for a couple of years, and they're they're rebooting that with a with new cast and new characters. Uh, so I'm playing uh, an American ex Marine Special Operations soldier, ex Marsoc Raider, uh, who's now doing black ops for Section Twenty. And the other lead guy is an actor called Warren Brown, who um, was in Luther as a sidekick. Oh was, wow! Yeah, Elba's sidekick in Luther. Oh, fantastic! So he's he's great. He came and slept on the floor here on the on a blow up mattress for a week in December, and we'd not met before the getting election. to know each other. <laughs> literally, it was there was beer and guns and exercise and farting. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just just all that kind of stuff, and we had a great time. And I, I can't wait to hang out with him. So so we're going um, <laughs> to to Budapest. We're heading to to, to Europe. How uh, awesome. In March, to, to shoot 10 episodes of Strike Back. Um, and at the moment, I'm just, I mean, I'm training three times a day. I've had one drink since Christmas. Um, I've, I've got a whole bunch of replica rifles and handguns under the bed that I'm playing with daily. That's great. Um, and, I'm, and I'm reading so many books, like just a, a lot of military history, a lot of marine history, a lot of SEAL history. Uh, I uh, just... It's not often you get six months to prep for a role and, and a character, but I, we did our first audition for this in August. Uh, I got the job in November, and we, we start in April. In hey, March, congratulations. April. So, cheers, man. That's so, fucking awesome. So that's nice, and it's my first proper lead in an American series, um, and, and it's a great cable series, which is great, and it's an action role, and I get to get fit and... and I'm probably going to Which spend is. most of my time with my clothes off or a gun in my hand. So I'm shirt on or shirt off. Prepping for both. All <laughs> <laughs> hey, up or all down. What's, um, what's, it, so he, what's the difference between special ops and SEALs? So um, SEALs are a special operations extension of the Navy. Right. Um, the, the U.S. Army has got various special operations forces. Um, the, the Army Rangers are an elite infantry. The Green Berets are special forces for the Army. And then those which shall never be mentioned, the Delta Force, which technically yeah. don't exist. Yeah. Um, and then the Marines themselves have their spe- special operations force, uh, which they call, which are, yeah, MARSOC, which is the MARSOC Rangers. And your guy's from the Army, is he? The uh, he'll come from the Marines, actually. Oh, Marines. Yeah. Okay, yeah, right. Okay. So I've been... I've been uh, researching a lot of that hanging out with a lot of SEALs to see really? the difference between kind of the SEAL teams and the Marines and and um, and just the way the Marines do things differently there's a lot a lot of uh, there's a lot of differences between the, the type of men and women that, that, that go through and come out of of the various sort of armed forces over here so and what, what you have to remember well, not you but what, what what struck me was when I was reading about it was um, the extraordinary well, for a start, just let's look at Navy SEALs, that the amount of investment that the U.S. government's already put into them. I mean, yeah. they're worth millions of dollars by the time they're actually out in the field. Totally. totally. You know, so there are yeah. a huge investment. Totally, totally, totally. Um, but, I mean, I just, I just finished a book called The Red Circle by Brandon Webb, and he went from surfer and, and working on a dive boat as a teenager in Ventura Harbour to coming through and, and ended up redesigning and... and um, and training Navy SEALs, including you know Chris Kyle, the American sniper, and did a bunch of combat tours over you know twelve or thirteen years, I think, in, in in the SEAL teams. And to read from how long you had to be in the Navy to even get into buds, to get through through yeah. buds into training, to go be assigned into a team, to, to then pass all the you know the rest of the qualifications, to then be deployed. Like it's 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 a huge mm. amount of time and and and, um, and effort and the amount of skills that these guys learn is yeah. just just exceptional. Yeah. You know? And 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 the difference that I'm learning is that the Marines learn a lot of those skills before they go into special operations. Okay. I think. I think. Yeah. Right. You know. And again, I got. I mean, I'm an Australian talking about um, American armed forces that have a long history. Of, of service and, and, and whatnot. So one thing I have learned is, is you know, you'd have to do so very respectfully. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I do take on that with a the utmost of, of responsibility, you know, playing playing an American uh, veteran, yeah, know, combat veteran. So yeah. So I'm really doing a lot of research, meeting a lot of people, and um, and also meeting a lot of ex-Australian. Oh, so Australian veterans, you know, mm. because because we don't have back home. I think the support network or the or the public awareness 
of what our armed forces have done, particularly in the last 10 right. years in Iraq and Afghanistan, even going back to Vietnam. I mean, shit, I that's know, a whole other story. Right. But, yeah. but, you know, met a lot of guys who are my age, younger, who've, who've done... Afghanistan and Afghanistan Iraq veterans, and Iraq. yeah, and, and you know the the actual the the way they're treated here and the respect they're given is so much different to, to, do to not back have here. the respect or the awareness yeah. of what they've been through in Australia. Uh, but, that I do here. I mean, a friend of mine, I, I, he's he was a comedian who who went and um, performed over there, and he became mates with a bunch of when I say there Afghanistan, mm. and he became mates with a bunch of army guys, and they have a thing on. He actually became like they started treating him as one of their own, mm. and they have a thing on Sunday night. Someone will send a group text saying, "Are you okay? Everyone okay?" Oh. And they'll yeah, they all have to check in and say, right. "Yep, you're okay." And if not, then you know they'll get if one of them's not okay, then they'll gather, gather around him and brilliant and everything. Brilliant. It, and it's it's funny because I would imagine that most of the Australian public doesn't even know that exists, no, and doesn't even know what they did or what no. Or, or what the Australian SAS or the commandos or the infantry did. Yeah. You know? And and no, I didn't. I, no. I, I was because we we don't come from that that mentality back home, That's and true. it's polar opposites to to what so happens true. here. And, yeah. And so one of the things, I mean, it sounds, it may sound naive, but that's one of the things that I would kind of like to use this platform of Strike Back to maybe help. Yeah, then maybe do back home. You know, I think that's great. So, so look, it's early days, but you know, if there's anyone listening that that may be able to help with some insight into that, it's um, it, it's one area that I would like to at least you know help with in some capacity. Just a note for veterans associations: Dan can be contacted via Morrissey Management in Australia. Question eight: What do you consider your greatest achievement? Um. <laughs> my, my friends and I sat down and had this conversation a while ago but I guess I mean I started television at 17 I had a pretty good run I could have been I, by all accounts I should have been a complete cock <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? yeah yeah you know like I, I, I'd like to think that I've remained pretty grounded pretty humbled or pretty humble very family oriented I guess I guess my greatest achievement could be that I've never let the entertainment industry or my profession change who I am at the essence of who I am yeah you know I've always remained true to who I am who I grew up with my best mates are still my best mates you know, from, from prior to acting, I think my values and my morals are still as they always have been. I've seen a lot of friends. I mean, that's not to say I haven't changed because, you, you know, it's that, it's that frog in boiling water thing. Yeah. You, know, you just don't realise. <laughs> no. You don't realise until you're boiled, you know. So, look, that's... And that might be... I don't know if that sounds wankish or... No, mate. No, it is... Something, but it's something that I do hold very... Yeah. Yeah, very important. It's not something I dwell on, or it's not something I actively go. Ah, right. Today you're not going to be a wanker. <laughs> I'm a complete wanker a lot of the time, you know. Uh, but but I think I've watched I've watched others fall. Oh know, yeah. Those hurdles and 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 I think and I've always lived by the mantra that if all ends tomorrow, what what do you got? You know, if if suddenly Donald Trump says right, no more television and film tomorrow, yeah. and it, it's done. It's all state run, yeah, and it's coming out of Washington, and I'm casting everybody in France to get new jobs, <laughs> yeah. And we have to kind of pack up and, and go home and, and move back to Sydney and and get a real job. It's like, well, what have you got? Well, you've got your family, your friends, your relationships, and you you know you yourself, yeah. And and I think I probably again instilled by my family and by those most mentors and by those people that, that kind of taught me as I was growing up that I think that that still remains my highest level of measurement yeah not which show I'm on what are the ratings yeah what series have I got coming out yeah you know because I st- I still have to maintain that that's all bullshit yeah you know because if, it, if it's 
it is and it isn't because you have to live it and believe it and put everything into it. Yeah. But at the same token, kind of know that well, at the end of the day, you, you know, you're not saving lives. You're yeah. Not, yeah. You're a brain surgeon. You're making people, but you are making people happy. Totally. And, um, totally. I think there's also a thing of there's something very humbling about doing an, an Ironman triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you when you just got off the bike and you're like ten k's into the run. Yeah. That you're uh, that you're feeling very human at yes. that point in time. You know that was that was why I did it, and that's why I maintained participation in that sport for so long. I mean, I, I started that sport in 1991 as a fat kid in in Kern. Oh, really? I was 11 years old in my first triathlon. I came 33rd out of 42 kids, and you know, and I was this little chubby kid, and and, and but I stuck at it, and I loved it, and I got quite good at it through my teenage years, and then it was actually through triathlon that I started acting because I got glandular fever and chicken pox one oh, after the other when I was 16 fuck. and so instead of racing at the triathlon at Cornell I worked as a, as a cycle I was directing cyclists yep. and the guy I was stationed with was an acting manager and he said hey you should try some acting or modelling and I'm like don't be silly what are you talking about and he rang my parents three weeks later and I went and met him and that was Stephen Harmon who still is an agent in Sydney and this <laughs> was Mark Morrissey who is still my manager to this day and that Insane. was 20, 20 years ago. So that's great. So that was triathlon led to that. But then I also went back, and when I went, when I moved home from London when I was twenty five, when I was when I was telling you earlier, when my parents were separating, I thought, well, I always wanted to do Ironman, and I won't let my profession or this job or this opportunity take away from my childhood goals. So I'm going to go back and do an Ironman, and I wanted to go and race Hawaii. My childhood goal was always to race the Hawaiian Ironman. So I started racing, and you know I was pretty—I was pretty good. I was a good athlete as a kid, and you know I was supposed to go off to the New South Wales Institute of Sport and, and stuff like that. So I ended up going quite well, and I and I was very close to qualifying for Hawaii in my first two or three Ironman. And they offered me a, a celebrity spot. I said, "Hey, come and be part of the telecast. We'll give you a free entry to Hawaii. Come and come and do it." And I thought. No way. Like, yeah, yeah. as much as I want to do this race, I don't want to be there on the start line in the water looking around going, the only reason I'm here is because I'm on TV in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that goes against everything that, that, every reason I did that sport. Yeah. And so, what I did was go and, we had a two-week production break in April from City Homicide. I flew myself to this island, this remote island off south of China called Hainan Island. And I raced Ironman China, which turned out to be like 42 degrees on the day. Oh, my God. Howling like tsunami monsoon thing went through the night. No, tsunami. Monsoon went through the night before and like just whipped up this massive storm. And then the next day it was this just heat wave. So much so that the, the guy that um, won the race, he walked the second half of the marathon and he's a two-time Olympian. Wow. Um, and so I went and did this race. And so normally I was finishing Ironman in you know, between nine and a half and ten hours. And um, this one took me over 11 hours, but I won my age group. And oh, yeah. qualify. So I had to come top two. In my oh, age so it's not time oriented. No, it was, it's, it's, it's had to come placing. top two in the men's yeah. 25 to 29 division and you get one of the two slots to Kona. So all day I was like, right, I was counting guys that were in front of me, counting guys that were behind me, you know, and, and who was passing out in the heat because it was like people were, people were literally passing out on the side of the road because it was so hot. And, and it took me five hours to run a marathon, which was, you know, a good hour and a half more than I'd expected to. I'd never, ever gone through so much agony and... and just physical exhaustion, exhaustion and pain as I went through. But I, I won my age group. It was by far the most satisfying moment of my sporting career. I yeah. think. Yeah. To finally achieve that childhood goal of of qualifying for Hawaii, and then I jumped on a plane the next day. I missed the award ceremony. I missed everything. And I was back on set. This was Saturday morning. I raced or Saturday night. I was back on set Tuesday morning in Melbourne. P- pissing blood. Pissing, pissing blood. <laughs> yeah. I, I had these horrible... T- I had, used to have, I had nightmares that I was back out on the, run, on the run course, you know. I was having these horrible... I won't go so far as PTSD, but these kind yeah. of stress-induced nightmares. And then 
took me a good six or eight weeks to recover. But um, and then when I got to Hawaii in October, that was like the icing on the cake. That was like, you know, this childhood dream. How, how awesome! How'd you go in Hawaii? Uh, you're pretty good. I, I'd come off. So again, I'd worked seven days a week yeah. through a Melbourne winter doing dancing and city homicide and training and training for oh. so I was like finishing city homicide on a, and I still look back and within a month after Hawaii I was like how the hell did I do that because I mean I was training before and after work like I was driving up yeah. to the tan or in South Melbourne to the studios at 4.30 in the morning yep. getting an hour run in until 5.30 and then do a 5.45 makeup call for a 12-hour day on set. Nuts, mate. Nuts. So I was rapping on a Friday night. I'd go to MSAC and swim 4K Friday night. I'd go home. I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning. I'd ride to Portium back before, but get back by midday and be in a rehearsal for Dancing with the Stars at 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Like, cross-eyed. Like, I just, like, sprinted 190K on a bike with some of the best triathletes in the world. Literally get off grab armfuls of food jump in the car and then walk into a, a script rehearsal and then they go great okay we'll just put that in the auto queue and make some notes so you've got an hour and a half and then we'll see on the floor they walk out and I'll be asleep like within yeah. a minute and have an hour's kip and then and then kind of get up and do it so I don't know how I did it but I managed to finish everything about three or four weeks before Hawaii and so I had a bit of clear time just to sleep I got to the big island three weeks early had a bit of a holiday had some training and the actual day itself was great. I had, I had probably the day that I expected or deserved in that I had eight and a half hours of a great day and then two hours of shit where it was like I was coughing up blood and I couldn't get any, get any food or, or water into my stomach and, and my abdomen was kind of distended and my, my sort of insides basically just said, we're not processing anymore, so you're on your own. So I kind of I – had, I had a great day. I finished Hawaii in just under ten and a half hours. It was all well yeah. and good, but – but it was a bit of a, a you know tough 15k to finish, but it was amazing. I and loved how, it. And how long after that did you continue the sport? Uh, I had a break after that. I came to LA uh, in 2009 for a little bit. I went home. I did. I had a couple of years off actually. I did Wild Boys until 2000 and end of 2011 in Sydney, and then when I moved back to LA in 2012, I picked it up again. So, and I got back to a a point where. <laughs> Uh, I won the LA Triathlon Amateur Division. Oh, really? I qualified for another two world championships. Um, I, I was I was training far too much and not doing enough acting class. Right. So that was the was that Olympic distance? Or uh, was that the LA was Olympic distance, and then I was racing half Ironman again. Yeah, right. And so then it was. So I, I raced back here for another three years, and it's amazing. Like, so we're sitting here in Santa Monica now. You go twenty minutes up the PCH to the Santa Monica Mountains. It is some of the best cycling in the world yeah yeah it is winding canyons with views over the mountains and down in the valleys and and it's exceptional i had a great crew of, of triathletes and pro triathletes to train with and and i got really really fit and i loved seeing the country i saw a lot yeah. of the country we got to travel around and you know we go up to santa barbara we go to boise or we go to florida or we you know travel around and, and do great stuff so then i thought right that's it i'm going to race one last ironman and i'm going to go really quick and i'm going to proved that I should have been a pro athlete and it was in it was in um, Germany in 2014 whereabouts in Germany in Bavaria a place yeah. called Roth Roth which was R-O-T-A Roth um, which is the biggest race outside of Kona so Roth and, and Kona yeah. were the two biggest races and again it was just this crazy heat wave and again I got to 25k into the run and I was dehydrated and my core temperature was through the roof because I've made a couple of mistakes earlier in the day hadn't had enough fluids hadn't had enough you know nutritionally I'd stuffed up I made the mistake of wearing a full a full enclosed helmet on a day that was 10 oh, yeah. degrees Celsius hotter than we'd expected you know supposed to be 25 degrees it was 36 degrees and just things like That's that massive. And just 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 put me over the edge and, and you, know, you can't get back from that when you when you're running along a levee by a canal with no shade in just at two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon with no wind and 36 degrees you just can't escape it no. there's, nothing, there's nothing you can do to get your body temperature back down but I had this moment of and it was just literally this this moment of I stopped are you in the run I'm in the run so I've done I led, I led the wave out in the swim, so I swam, you know, low 50 minutes. I was first out of the water of, of a couple hundred guys. Wow. I, I rode 
just under five hours for 180k which was okay I probably want to go a bit quicker but it was hot and windy and I was you know I wanted to go low uh, under, under nine and a half hours for, for this race but I knew about 10k of the run I was in trouble I was like oh I'm really hot I'm really hot my heart rate's really high I'm, I'm in a bit of a bit of a pickle here I don't know how to fix this so fast forward 10k down the track I just had this moment where like my, both my hamstrings cramped up I was like I'm stand, I was running away from the the main area where all the supporters were I was running away from Zoe I was running away from my friends I was running away from the finish line I just kind of stopped and I literally went what the fuck am I doing like fuck am I doing here you've done this you've done this forever like how many times have you been here at this point of an Ironman what are you doing this again for you're a fucking idiot what are you doing here why why am I living in LA sacrificing my career in Australia time with my friends and family seeing my brother and sister (laughs) watching my niece grow up what the fuck am I doing here and literally I quit I called the doctor over. They put me in a boat, took me to the med tent. I got four liters of IV fluid. Wow. Quick triathlon and put all that energy into, into my acting and that was the change. That was That's the amazing. So anyway. Mate, can I just ask, so, yeah. let, so the, for those who don't know, I, know, I think I'm a bit scratchy too. Yeah. That, what are the distances uh, so the Ironman? So for Ironman triathlon, you're swimming 3.8 kilometres, you're riding 180k and you're running 42.2, a full marathon to finish. So in miles, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a 26 mile run. Uh, half so Ironman is literally half that distance and then Olympic distance is a, a 1.5k swim, 40k bike and a 10k run which is about a two hour race like yeah. two hours um, half Ironman is a, is a four and a half hour five hour race depending yeah. on, on how you go um, and, a, and an Ironman is anywhere from, from an eight hour if you're a pro to a 15 hour if you're, if you're trying to get it under the cutoff. It's amazing mate yeah well yeah. congratulations for doing all that stuff mate it's, uh, it's a full on your body will, uh, will crucify you in <laughs> 20 years <laughs> yeah it's starting to start a crucifying yeah, yeah that's right yeah. Um, the, my favourite question is the second last yeah. one who would you want on your side in a battle and why <laughs> it could be a show business battle or, you know yeah. it doesn't really, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be violence <laughs> wow um, who would I like on my side in a battle <sighs> look I guess um I guess you kind of want to go down swinging with your mates, don't you? Yeah. Like, like of every so everything I've everything I've studied recently, everything I've read, you know, all, all these books. It talks about the brotherhood of, of people in war and people in battle. Um, and, and actually, and I was just saying, Zoe and I have just very belatedly gone through Peaky Blinders on on Netflix, which is about you know the the gangs of, of Birmingham. Uh, and again, you know, the brotherhood of, of those in these you know, very tumultuous times. So it'd have to be a bunch of mates, I think. And it would either be director Shana Bess, with whom I've done two movies together. We're born a couple of days apart. We are, we are both from Cronulla. We both grew up bodyboarding Shark Island, um, <laughs> affectionately known as the Wookiee, who's six foot two got long red hair and a big red beard and he could argue a point no end he will pick fights verbally because his convictions are so strong and I've never met a man with stronger convictions artistically than this man Shana Bess don't ask him to use his fists though so I might have a Bess on one side and then I reckon I'll have Luke Hemsworth on the other because because he, he probably he too has the same convictions as an artist uh, and as a man and as a father and I love him he's one of my best mates in this town but he too can also use his fists yeah so between the three of us and we are great mates and we do drive each other um, crazy and, and also drive each other to, to work better and we're all sort of at the same point in our careers and we're all kind of on this, this journey together. At the moment, I feel like I'm actually going into battle with those guys and a couple of others. That's good. Who have all worked together over the course of um, the last couple of years and, and are all sort of standing on the precipice of, of, um, of, of this point in our careers yeah. at the same place. And they're, they're great mates and, you know, they say that, 
you know, filmmaking is the art of making and losing families. These guys are, are like are like brothers, you know. That's true. Brothers in a, arms. It is. A, it is you. You've got the strongest friendships for six weeks. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the last question: What would you like your last words to be? <laughs> um, my last words. Uh, it, it'd probably have to be. It'd probably just be a laugh. It'd be a laugh. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, Did I break nine and a half hours? Yeah. <laughs> just, just give me one more. Just give me one yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Because uh, you know, I'm always a stickler. Just give me one more take. Let's just give me one more. No, Dan, you've had enough. Oh, come on, just let me try one more time. A safety. Yeah, just give me one more for sake. One more for luck. <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, definitely a smile. Definitely a laugh. And uh, <laughs> oh, come on, just give me one more. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it, mate. Thanks so much for that. Absolute pleasure. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 